0: How's it going, friends? Welcome to a very special episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavíer, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods. On this New Year's edition of the show, I'm excited to welcome back my very good friend, Mr. Craig Clemens, who's been on the show two or three times before. You guys might know him for his incredible marketing and copywriting skills. He's one of the top in the world. He's also, um, as I mentioned, a very good friend of mine. And over the past year, he's actually become a bonafide Instagram influencer where he has over 600,000 followers on Instagram, where he shares videos about topics ranging from relationships to entrepreneurship to you name it. He covers it. Over the course of the next hour, Craig and I are going to discuss the 10 things that we each learned or 10 things total that we learned over the past year. He's going to share five and I'm going to share the other five. But before we get to it, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of this episode of the show, and that is Nordic Naturals. Nordic Naturals is a purveyor of the finest fish oils that I'm aware of. I often get asked what brand of fish oil I supplement with. And generally the brand that I reach for and have reached for even before they decided to sponsor my podcast has been Nordic Naturals. Their fish oils are IFOS certified, which is a independent third party governing body to make sure that fish oil purity and quality standards are being upheld. And when you're ingesting oils as delicate as omega-3 fatty acids, which are what fish oils are primarily composed of, quality is king. You really want to make sure that you are not skimping on fish oil. If it's a vitamin supplement like vitamin C, things like that, you can, you know, those are inexpensive vitamins but uh, if you have a budget for supplements, you really want to make sure that you're getting the best quality fish oil that you can afford. You don't want to compromise on your fish oil quality so that's why I always reach for Nordic Naturals. Even though they sponsor my podcast, I was a customer of theirs even before that and so I highly recommend checking them out nordicnaturals.com. Now guys, I would really appreciate it if you could take a moment to support The Genius Life. All you got to do to do that is to join my newsletter at MaxLugovier.com, and also also leave a rating and review for the show on iTunes. You guys are so generous with your ratings. We've got about 1,700 five-star ratings at this point, which is amazing. And also your reviews, which I take time to read each and every one of, like this one from Deems89. He or she wrote, I'm so grateful for the work that Max does. He is smart, open-minded, discusses great topics, and speaks with a variety of knowledgeable guests. His podcast is my favorite one I discovered this year. I definitely binge-listened and scrolled back to older episodes. Haha! I highly recommend this podcast. Well, Deems89, I'm so glad and thank you for your recommendation to all you guys out there. I appreciate your time and attention, and I'm excited to bring you even more great episodes in 2020. So, without further ado, let's rock. Here's my conversation with Craig. We're rolling. Craig Clemens. What
1: up? We're live? Wow, we're 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 live so fast. Just like that. You know, things happen fast, Max, like this year. (laughs) It's already just about over. Could you believe it? Feels like it just begun. I can't believe it actually. In the decade. What were you doing at this very moment in the year 2010? 2010? Oh
0: man. 2010, I was probably um, wrapping up my time at Current TV, which was that TV network that I used to work for. Uh, yep. Al yep. Gore's, Al Gore's little project. Yeah, you and Al are tight. Yeah, we're tight. Still tight. Um, i haven't seen him in a while, but yeah we were tight actually me and l mm-hmm. me and al we'd hang out at at company parties and uh you know you need to get him on the podcast I should get him on the that would be a good he'd be a good guest do you think he eats healthy i don't imagine so mm. he without you know exposing too much of uh you know what I got to observe of his behavior. Um, I just don't think somebody with that schedule, uh, you know, and yeah, I don't think so, but, but, uh, but I don't know. Yeah. I'd l- I'd like to have that conversation with him because obviously he's super into the environment. So I would love to know what his, you know, he's, he's obviously like done a deep dive into ecology and, He's, I'm sure he's well-versed in agriculture from many different angles, you know, angles that I'm not familiar with. And so I'd love to talk to him about that. And like what, you know, how that, everything that he knows informs his dietary pattern, if it even does, I don't do you, know.
1: Do you call him Big Al?
0: Uh, I didn't call him Big Al at the time. now. I just called him Al. Just called him. Do you I, have his phone number? I might. Let's think. call him right now <laughs> see if he answers. I definitely, I have his email address. Do you think he answers his own phone? I... So I don't know. Would he answer if you called? He probably doesn't have my number in his. All phone. right, let's
1: call and see. Let's call and see, <laughs> we'll right, see right now. Yeah, let's. know. <laughs> we have to call and see if he answers, and we have to do it live. Ooh, you know who I have in my phone? Albert Gore, his son. That's not the same. Not the same. Yeah, Albert pray answer for anybody. Yeah, he was. A, he was a really nice guy. I'm Albert. Not th- nothing. Nothing against Albert. He's just a little easier to get a hold of than Big Al. <laughs> right. I'm guessing. I don't know. Maybe Big Al is very sociable. Yeah. I was very sociable. Okay. Well, you think about that. I think we should do it live. <laughs> While you're thinking about it, why don't we get right into the theme of today's show? Yes. Which is... 10 things
0: <laughs> that I've learned over the past year. But this is actually not going to be 10 things I've learned. This is going to be five things that I've learned and five things that you, Craig, have
1: learned. It's actually going to be five things I've learned... Three things that you've learned, <laughs> and you mentioned—I'm going to expose Max right now—that you're going to try to come up with two more in the fly.
0: Yeah, I am because I—I didn't prepare for this episode as well as I probably should have. But um, but I've been I've been kind of tied up. I'm over prepared, so it'll balance it out. Well, and to be fair, this was kind of a spontaneous episode that uh that I wanted to do kind of at the last minute because first of all, it's been a while since I've had you on the show. And you're one of my best friends, and I felt like it's just been too long, and I want to have another episode with you, because the podcast has grown a lot, and I want to introduce all of my new listeners to you. What up? And your talents. Uh, And then, yeah, so it's kind of a a last-minute episode, and I've been a little swamped. So I have have three, but hopefully over the course of the episode, you know, maybe some of the things that you're going to say will resonate and jog
1: my memory a little bit. Maybe. And if we get stuck at eight, let's call Big Al and see if he has two. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. Deal. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Start us off,
0: Max. All right. So the first thing that I learned over the past year, over 2019, um, is that you got to be close to your friends. What?
1: Should we play the um, um-ah game? The what? The um and ah game. What's that? What's that game? So I took on a challenge at the end of this year to try to clear my voice from ums, ahs, awkward pauses, and saying weird sticky phrases like, you know. I do that a lot. I say, you know, a lot. Yeah. So now anytime I'm hanging out with one of my friends, we play the game, and you get fined each time you say, um, ah, you know, or whatever you specify the things that you want to be fined for, because the game is actually to help you. And the fine can be anywhere from 10 cents to five bucks. Okay. It can go to charity, or it can go to the other person. All right let's do you want to play let's play all right yeah, let's play what's your fine gonna be oh my
0: god let's do five bucks let's five do a, bucks a five dollar fine
1: is it going to me or is it going to charity it's gonna go let's 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 put it to charity i think you'd do better if it was going to me you think because so? you wouldn't want me to get it i don't to I get mean, my get not? my filthy hands on it <laughs> but, but, all right let's go to charity, charity. let's go to charity <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I just don't want you to have it go to a charity that you really like, and then you start um and awing all over the place, and you are be like, oh, I'm just trying to like save the, the manatees, you know? Oh. Yeah, you got to play this for real. I get it, because then it's- Why like, don't we do this? Yeah. Why don't we take your $5 fines, and each one that is processed will go to our 43rd president, Donald J. Trump's re-election campaign. <laughs> oh, my God. What do you I mean, say
0: well i mean but some some people might be a, f- a fan of donald trump you know listening to right this. but you're not right i mean i'm not a i'm apolitical i'm not gonna i wouldn't donate five i am not going to i would not donate i would not donate any money to his campaign i'll just i'll put it to you that way got it so okay so that's a good one or bernie what about bernie i'm not gonna donate to his who campaign don't either. You? who
1: don't you like i don't donate to any political campaigns okay that's fine, not that's fine not, that's not All my right, thing. fine we are going to take the money afterwards and I will decide where it goes. Okay. Okay. Fair. Great. All right. I will take the $5 fine also. Okay. We're, we might not catch all
0: of the, the ums and ahs. So we'll, we'll just have somebody tally. I'll have my wonderful assistant, Sydney, uh, tally up like the count
1: for us at the end. Then how about do we do this? Okay. Why don't we let the folks at home tally up? Okay. So the first person to tally up our ums and ahs, you and I, if you're in for this, will each, in addition to the fines, oh, how about this? The first person to tally them up, we will donate all the money to that person's favorite charity, along with 100 bucks each. Okay. You game? Yeah. I'm game. Okay. So it's going to be 200 bucks. I'm in. Plus the ums and ahs. There's going to be at least 20 of them. Right. To the first person to listen to this and give us the um ah, ah count broken down by speaker, so by myself or you. Right, broken down my speaker, yeah. Yes, and whoever says less ums and ahs out of the two of us has to do some type of humiliating, <laughs> embarrassing, <laughs> pant-removing stunt. Okay, well, how do we figure that out? Well, the person who tallies it first will know who the winner is. Okay, and, That's how we'll, and then the stunt... They get to pick. They get to pick, yeah. They get to pick. They get to pick. Okay. And make it as uh, embarrassing as possible. Yeah. Fair. Wait. There's going to be a lot of people telling of it. Why don't we say the second person who sends the tally gets to pick the stunt. The first person gets the charity thing. They've already won something. Next. Yeah. The second person gets to pick the stunt. Right. Okay. Fair. Go. Okay. okay. And the, yeah, starting now. And
0: Starting now. And it's only those two pause words. Just those two. Just so they don't get confused. That'll keep it simple. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Great. Let's go. I was just going to do a pause work, but I caught myself. Nice work. It's uh-huh. working already. Yeah. The game is for you. Right. And me. Right. Make us better speakers. Um, oh, damn it. <laughs> it's too easy. <laughs> okay. So the first uh, thing that I learned.
1: That's an ah. Uh, it's a $5 uh. What? Oh, the first one. Yeah. The first no, one. no. You said the first uh, thing that I learned. I did? Yes. It's a $5. Ah, you're at 10 bucks. Oh my God. It's subconscious. Well, that's actually going to get to number five on my list of things I learned in the last decade. So. Wow. Or last year. Last year. It. Okay, go.
0: Okay. So the first thing that I learned over the past year was that you want to be close to your friends and family. And... That was something that became very apparent to me. Um, oh,
1: damn it! Fifteen dollars.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's okay. We're donating. We're donating to charity. So right, and I don't actually need to count. I just want to yeah help keep you accountable.
0: Right, of course. So after my mom passed away on December sixth of two thousand eighteen. I knew right off the bat that I wanted to move back to LA. I was living in New York at the time. And you remember I was making all those trips back and forth between LA and New York. And the, the main, the main reason why I was doing those trips was not because I had explicit business to be done out on the West coast. The, the, the major reason was that I wanted to be close to my friends, mm-hmm. you know, you, Sarah, all my homies in, in wherever, just, you know, the, this the was, homies, man, the homies on the boulevard. Yeah. On the boulevard. Yeah on the boulevard beverly boulevard to be beverly, exact beverly. Of air One, <laughs> yeah. los angeles yeah and i um oh, man i uh, uh yeah, yeah uh, that's- uh, i realized that life is short and you know you can go at any time you could leave your your apartment or your house and be hit on the head by falling jet fuselage time is guaranteed to nobody It's our most limited and precious resource. And I was spending too much of it away from my friends. Now I was spending that time with my mom and I don't regret a second of the time spent with my mom or my little brothers who live in, in New York city. Well, Ben, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Love you, Ben. (laughs) I knew you'd be listening. (laughs) Ben is a homie. Ben's a homie. And, uh, I, I basically realized that I wanted to spend, um, more time with my with my friends. So soon after my mom passed away, I started to pack up and I made the decision to um, you know, move that's out a, west, I know. Yeah. I'm just racking up the bills. And that's what I did. I left the East Coast and I moved to the West Coast so that I could be around all the friends, which make life i think more valuable and more colorful and more textured and
1: you know well this is definitely a valuable lesson i'm teaching you on this podcast with this um ah game it is valuable it's gonna be valuable for the charity it's gonna be valuable for you it's gonna be valuable for the first tallyer it's super valuable who gets to push it forward it's super valuable it's hard
0: life is hard you haven't you haven't done a single one I've been practicing. But you
1: haven't, you haven't also? I haven't started speaking. Wait together. till I start speaking. You'll be cracking them up also. Right, okay. Yes, I'm no wizard. So... Um, so the takeaway is friends first. Friends first.
0: Well, I wouldn't say friends over family. Be close to friends and family. So... Even if you have to move. Yes. But... So to close the loop on the story, soon after moving out to LA, I was able to somehow influence the rest of my family, the remaining members of my immediate family Mm -hmm. to move out to the West coast as well. Yeah. So my little brother, Ben, my middle brother, Andrew, they were both living in New York at the time. Mm -hmm. I was actually sharing an apartment with Ben. I convinced Ben somehow to make the move. He works remotely. So it was fairly easy for him to come out to the West, to the West coast. And Ben And I forget which month it was, but he ended up moving out to West Hollywood, which is where I live. And a few months later, Andrew, who wasn't able to work remotely, but he was working a sales position, making really good money. But he wasn't really all that happy with his, I mean, he enjoyed his, you know, his job and his employer, but he didn't like the fact that he had to sit in an office for, you know, nine hours a day. And so he ultimately ended up making the move too. To be out in, you know, in California with me and my youngest brother, Ben, and my dad who was living in Miami at the time, he had spent the past 10 years only seeing us when we would go down to Miami to visit. He made the move as well. And so my dad is now also in West Hollywood. So my entire family is now in West Hollywood, which is an amazing thing. So friends and family. Friends and family.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. You know, they say that friends are the family you choose for yourself. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That is true. Okay, so that's takeaway number one. Takeaway number one. That's the first thing you learned. What's number two? I'm just going to, I think we should go back and forth. Mine are sequential. They're sequential. Yes. Uh, well, actually not all of them are sequential. Okay, I'll, I'll drop one. Okay. And then my last three are sequential. Okay. Okay, so earlier this year I was introduced to Tony Robbins and we started chatting back and forth and it was going on in a really interesting way. It was a three-way conversation with the gentleman who introduced us, my longtime friend, Dean Graziosi, and we were talking about doing a business deal. And the way it worked is we would all drop voice notes in the three-way chat that was going on. And it was amazing how much we got done towards this business deal, just voice noting back and forth, no conference calls. No excessive texting, no long emails, just dropping voice notes. And it made me realize there's a lot of power in voice notes. Here's the things I like about voice notes. One, it's a lot fucking easier to leave a voice note than it is to write someone out an email. Mm
0: -hmm. And if
1: you're writing an email about a business deal, you're going to edit it a hundred times, you know, you're going to be worried about what you're saying in there. Voice note, you just boom, record, you just drop it, you speak your mind. If you speak it wrong, you can erase and start over, but- you speak your mind, you put it out there, it gets sent. It's your full train of thought put out. And the punctuation is not lost. You know, sometimes things get lost over text and email. Some of those, how would you describe them? The well, it's like nuances, the nuances yeah. get lost. You know, so next to a video, it's it's much, much better than text. And it allows you to relay a lot of information in a well-thought-out manner. Versus if you're on a conference call, you plan for the conference call, you get on the conference call, and then someone asks you a question that you don't really know, you're kind of just pulling the answer out of your ass. Or you have to say, I don't know, let me look that up. If someone asks you a question via voice note, you can go research, find out what you need to find out, then you leave a fully informed voice note back to somebody. So I've been doing this with all of my friends You've probably caught some voice notes from me, yeah. especially if the texting starts getting get intense or if someone sends me something to comment on like, hey, what do you think of this email or what do you think of this social media post? Anything like that. Always do a voice note in those situations. It's great because you can relay all that information in a quick sound bite. It's well thought out. It's well planned. And then they can go back and forth. You don't have to call them. You know, calls are, sad to say, kind of weird these days. When your phone rings, you get a little annoyed. You're like, who the fuck is calling me, right? (laughs) At least I do. I don't know. Maybe I need to work on that. But yeah, voice notes, man, super powerful. My friend, uh, our mutual friend, Michael Trainer, does this a lot too. Mm -hmm. We always voice note each other. We uh, actually joke about it because we both appreciate the power of the voice note. But I wanted to drop that on you listening at home try the voice note man it's built into the iPhone if you need to go longer and more powerful than the voice note style that's just in the text conversation when you hit the microphone actually pull up voice memos and those you can pause part way and then re-record or record more so Sometimes when I was going back and forth in this business deal, I'd have to leave longer voice notes with multiple pieces of information and I would pause and I'd be like, okay, guys, I'm going to go find that out. And then I'd send them like a four minute thing that actually I recorded three little notes in one, Mm -hmm. but it just got the information there right away. Save you a lot of time on email. A voice note is a great way to respond to an email that's been like sitting in your inbox that you haven't responded to forever. Mm -hmm. Grab the phone. Then you don't have to call them. You just hit the phone number or you hit voice memo and you'd be like, hey, I just want to record you a voice memo to answer your email, da, 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 da. And then send it instead of typing out the email. quick way to answer all your emails. You can either send it by text or you can attach it to the email. The power of the voice note. The power of the voice note. one. Super
0: smart. If you were to go to my voice memo app, it's all clips of me uh, singing. Playing that was guitar. A Forty dollar. Uh, I know. How a, many did I have? You, I couldn't count. I mean, I wasn't counting. I actually wasn't. You were. You know. I think that. I think when you're an eloquent speaker, those go kind of under the radar. Sometimes, yes. So I didn't.
1: I didn't. There was nothing. There were. There were none that I that I noticed. I'm sure there was seven there. Yeah. I do a pausing thing too, where I pause where there is not a comma or a period. So, folks at home. When you are tallying, you can find me for that, but it shouldn't count in the contest because Max isn't being fined for that, and I don't want to do the embarrassing thing because I am being more vulnerable. Okay, don't count that. Just us and us. Anyway. I, I am not a. Po- I like giving to charity, so I am actually I am gonna
0: stop being so self conscious about it because okay, I am okay with with. Giving. See,
1: that's why I wanted the money to go
0: to Donald J. Trump, but okay,
1: yeah, but that's a going go to charity though. It's I am
0: I am happy to give to charity. But, but I see your point. Yeah. Because then it's like, you don't mind. And the whole, the whole point of this exercise is to cut down on the pause words. Right. Okay. okay. Number two. Oh, but I was going to add one more thing about the voice notes. The other benefit is that you can record them without looking at your screen. So when you're texting, you have to like, look at right. the screen you can do it while you're on the road. And I think anything that we can do to take our eyeballs off of the mm. our devices is beneficial. And, uh, the, uh, those were not pause words. That's the letter A. There's a difference, right? That was not the letter A. Yeah, that was the letter A. I was gonna. I was saying that. I was saying that a voice memo. I was just looking for the word. A, a voice memo or a voice note, is uh, something that you can, just record while looking elsewhere. So that's good that's, save. That's a value. Good save. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my next thing that I learned over the past year is to take risks. Repeated behaviors get repeated results. And you have to change your behavior if you want change in your life, if you want different results, whether those results be in the gym or professionally or in your personal life, in your, say, romantic life. One Example that I can give is I spent a couple. Well, two things I can give two examples. One, my listeners might know that I cut out coffee, and this is really kind of meant to be a temporary thing. But I haven't actually had the desire to bring back coffee in a in a meaningful way into my life. I've had a cup here and there in the pre workout setting, so like mm-hmm. a small cup. I seen you drown those things too, man. You drink fast, like nor like. Well, normally. you used to. Yeah, yeah, I used to. Yeah, I drink. I used to drink a lot of coffee. Yeah. And now I'll drink like a small cup or maybe even a half-calf, half-decaf if I go to a Starbucks, for example, or a a coffee shop. But I drink it explicitly in the pre-workout setting and always before noon. So I've become very deliberate with my caffeine intake. And I've also been enjoying a little bit of tea now and then. That is risky as fuck. It's well. It's taking risk because it's a it was a chemical that I was addicted to. Basically, oh, so the risk is stepping up to your addiction. Stepping up to your addiction, yeah. Got it. Even though coffee is a pretty benign addiction, and the research suggests that people who drink coffee more frequently tend to have better health, mm-hmm. I didn't think that it was serving me to be drinking it in the quantity that I was consuming it in. So I would I would drink like a very large twenty ounce. I'm just you know I would make it at home, but I'm guessing that it was about 20 ounces worth of coffee, very okay. strong, you know, if not like a cold brew, it was a very
1: strongly brewed coffee. How much have you talked about this on the podcast before? Not, not, I mean, I've kind of dropped that I, okay. Over the past few episodes. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's an addiction I'm avoiding facing. Hmm. And if it's not boring for the folks at home, I'd be curious to get some of your insights about it. But if you talked about it like last episode or some shit, you no, know, I would I just have. ask you offline. Yeah. No. So I've been addicted to coffee for 15 years three shots of espresso every day, Mm. pretty much measured as well. Some days too. Used to only do weekdays. Now I do weekends as well. What type of urgency should I have around kicking that addiction? What kind of benefits do you think I'll notice? Uh, Oh, that was a big one. That was a big ah. Another thing that is potentially relevant information is I have the aura ring now that tracks my sleep Mm -hmm. and I cannot crack... More than six hours in an eight hour lay down. And I do not know why. Wow, interesting. And I'd love to be able to lay down for eight hours and at least get seven and a half hours of sleep. I, I don't know why. My wife thinks it might be because I'm on the caffeine most days now. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, let's face it, pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. But I've tried single day no caffeine, it doesn't help the sleep. Interesting.
0: Yeah. There are many potential reasons why you might, you know, have um, poor poor sleep. There are potential explanations for that. But in terms of caffeine, some people are slow metabolizers of caffeine and some are fast metabolizers. So without knowing your genetics and when you're consuming this coffee, if you're consuming it generally first thing in the morning, then you're probably fine. The caffeine is probably not having an impact
1: on your sleep. I ended at 3 p.m. and my bedtime is 10 p.m. Got it. So 3 p.m. is a little bit late. I would say try to bore a 10 p.m. bedtime. Yeah. Okay. I mean without knowing
0: your genetics, if you're a, if you're a slow metabolizer of caffeine, I forget what the half-life of caffeine is for that population, yeah. so I can't don't don't quote me, but you um you you'd be I think better served bringing that that coffee up a little bit earlier.
1: This is early for me actually. I used to stop at 7:30. 7:30 p.m. Yeah, and my bedtime was 12:30 at wow. that time. And I found that I would always crave like nine, ten hours of sleep, and then I talked to some people and they told me to scale the caffeine back, so I went one hour at a time, slowly got it down to around four thirty. Hmm. but interesting it, and it helps it helped Well, the problem is, uh, that- but now my bedtime's earlier, and three feels tough already, but are you saying? Two, are you saying one? When should I cut it off? Or should I just try to kick the thing completely? Well, the reason why you're probably consuming coffee at three is because you're treating the withdrawal that
0: you're experiencing from caffeine. And that's probably because you're addicted to it if you have it every day, and especially three espressos. Now, espresso, the volume of coffee that you're drinking is not very high. So what I'm probably drinking, or I was probably drinking a lot more caffeine than you're drinking with those three espressos, because a 20-ounce cold brew, for example, we will just use Starbucks- for instance it, that has a lot more caffeine than three espressos so you're not you're not really drinking that much espresso but or that much coffee in terms of volume but it tends to be stronger and um it can be it can affect your your performance so generally when people are not acclimated to caffeine if they're not addicted and they drink a little bit of it caffeine can have an ergogenic or performance boosting effect it can boost mental performance it can boost physical performance that's pr- Pretty well documented at this point. But the problem is, when you become addicted to it, your, your baseline performance under the addiction of caffeine will actually begin to suffer. And you need to drink caffeine just to get to, your, to, your, to what was previously your baseline level of right. performance. That is definitely me. Yeah. So you wake up, you feel groggy, you need the caffeine so that you yes. can feel normal, essentially. Yes. And then as soon as the caffeine, you're, you're sort of weaning off of the caffeine, then you need more to, you know, because you're exper- experiencing withdrawal from it. So right. what I've done or what I've noticed in cutting out the caffeine for the first few days, I felt like I was moving underwater. I definitely felt like I was in withdrawal from it. Okay. But now that that period has subsided, I feel consistent energy all day. And I don't feel like I need caffeine ever. I feel like I feel totally fine
1: with it. And you it. used to use caffeine for a pre-workout, correct? Because well, I, I use it for work. Yeah. Like, I use I used it for for both. I mean, I enjoy okay. I enjoy to get the, in the zone for work. to yeah. pound through some writing or emails because that's what I use it for.
0: But I also I really enjoyed the ritual of just waking up, sure, going to my kitchen, making Same. the coffee. It's yeah, warm. You know, it's 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 tastes great. like chicken. Yeah, tastes like chicken.
1: Yeah, um, everything tastes like chicken. Everything tastes like if chicken. if you get to the root of it. Yeah. Yep. It's all an illusion. The other taste. Man, I wonder what I'm up that they, up to they now. Shift the human mind with color. Yes.
0: So I recommend I recommend people trying to cut the you know, to wean off to wean off the caffeine. At least at least once every couple of months and then bring it back. It's fine to bring it back. I think coffee coffee has health benefits, there's no doubt about that. Okay. But it can it can work the adrenals, it creates a bit of a stress response in the body, it can elevate cortisol levels. Mm -hmm. And if you're already stressed out, if you're underslept, self medicating with caffeine I think is not a good is not a good strategy. How long is the withdrawal period or was it for you? It it was for me remarkably fast,
1: 3 days. Three and days. I was reasonably okay. addicted to ca- to caffeine okay. I was. That's say. good to know. It's okay. Yeah, 3 to 4 days. Okay. The only days I didn't drink coffee is actually when I went to Tony Robbins date with Destiny because I knew it was going to be 12 hours in a classroom-esque setting and I knew the caffeine wouldn't last that long. So I tried 2 days just no caffeine and he has you jump up and down like every 30 minutes hmm. to get the blood flowing and that is really effective i actually use that now in my work i think i might have talked about that in previous podcasts that you and i have done mm-hmm. because i use it as a daily ritual yes. now yeah i think the last episode we yeah. we did that yeah so okay i will report back in our 4th episode whenever that happens on kicking the caffeine take a week off you might find that you can yeah. that it by the
0: end You'll you, you know, it would have been it was perhaps easy and then you might be inclined to go two weeks and then maybe three weeks and at a certain point you can start adding in small doses but I I recommend trying it for at least a week. Okay, gotcha. So your but your lesson too was
1: take risks. Yeah, that was a that was a risk. That's the risk. Okay, take or a, not
0: a, not necessarily. I mean, I how guess, about
1: release the baby blanket? Release the baby blanket. Yes so is that a better you're saying that's a better description that's an analogy that. yeah don't be so attached to your comforts right take the risk of releasing one of them and see what happens i like that perhaps that comfort is having your cell phone on you all the time perhaps that comfort is your netflix perhaps that comfort is your coffee perhaps that comfort is your slice of pizza perhaps that comfort is staying in a hotel every time you travel instead of going camping or something like that mm, yeah i like that yeah all right cool Good job All right, number two for me. This one is on topic of the genius health stuff. Okay. Glyphosate is a bitch. That's my number two. What'd you learn about it? So I didn't really know about it. And then I took the vibrancy wellness test. Are you familiar? No. So you take this test, it's a deep blood test, and they tell you what foods you should and shouldn't eat. And shockingly, it told me to stop with the almonds. Hmm. I was having massive inflammation to almonds and the way the test works. The reason I had massive inflammation to almonds is because I was eating a lot of them. Like you have to ha- have a lot of something to get massive inflammation. For example, peanuts. I had like little tiny bit, but i never eat peanuts. Hmm. So that means peanuts are really bad, but I drink almond milk every day in my espresso. So I switched it out for oat milk. And I started getting lethargic. I was feeling so tired. And I was drinking the organic oat milk, you know, the kind that it's hard to find and it goes out of stock and the whole town of Venice goes crazy when they (laughs) run out of oat milk. And then I talked to Dr. Gundry Mm -hmm. and I said, Dr. G, I can't drink this almond milk. I'm drinking this oat milk and it tastes really good. Can I still be drinking this? And he said, no, you cannot because all oat milk has glyphosate. It's all sprayed with this shit. Something about the way they grow oats. Hmm. And don't quote me exactly on that. He may not have said all, but he said, you know. I believe with oats, glyphosate is used as a desiccant. They use it to dry the oats. Ah, okay, that must be it. That must be it. So I switched back to the almond milk and also this thing called milkadamia, which is made with macadamia nuts and occasionally the A2 milk which removes the thing that supposedly fucks up your system when you have dairy. It's like a different form of casein. Yes, it removes, yeah. It's it's a, an easier to digest casein. Mm-hmm. And I felt so much better. Interesting. And that was the only change I made that had me feeling tired all the time was adopting this oat milk and I think it was the glyphosate. So talking deeper with Dr. Gundry, I told him after I switched to these other things how I felt so much freaking better. And he's like, yep, that was it, the glyphosate. He said he has a hard time now eating food that's grown in California because it's so rampant in California, the glyphosate. Wow. Because of the type of bugs it kills or whatever, even to the point where it affects wine. So he stopped drinking Napa Cabernet because the glyphosate is sprayed on so many fields of grapes. And he told me a story about a wine producer in one of those California areas, I can't remember if it's Sonoma or Santa Inez or one of those, that touted themselves as the glyphosate-free winery. They had their wine tested and glyphosate showed up in it because their next-door neighbor winery was spraying it and it just carries over by the wind. Wow. So it's hard to avoid. So because I noted that sensitivity from the oat milk, I've stopped drinking California wines and I don't know how to best stop eating California produce, but he says that's the problem. Wow. Maybe rinsing it off helps. I don't know. What, what do you think?
0: You can definitely rinse and a, a, a rinse can be effective. There's okay. also different ways of rinsing yeah. that are I, even more effective than just straight rinsing.
1: I wonder when you rinse though, the California water sucks too. Are you just putting chlorine in your food or alkaline or aluminum, whatever's in the California water? Aluminum was what I was looking for. Well, I'm not going to suggest that
0: the way that I do things is necessarily perfect, but I... I can
1: attest to the fact that the way you do
0: things is far from perfect. Yes. But it's also genius. Well, I try to do the best that I can, given my circumstances, and without driving myself crazy and seeming like a crazy person to those around me. So I try to use everything that I know Mm -hmm. and to integrate them into my life in a way that is... Practical and makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I rinse with my tap water, but I don't drink my tap water. I run my tap water through a reverse osmosis water purifier. And that's what I drink after remineralizing Gotcha, reminerage, yes. Reminerage I think we have that actually too. Yes. Okay. I rinse my produce and I tend to buy organic if it's a fruit or a vegetable that you eat the skin of. Gotcha. If I were not buying organic, And also, I acknowledge that organic is not perfect. Like you said, the mere processing of produce can lead to cross-contamination. And there are organic-approved pesticides and things like that. Not glyphosate, necessarily. But, you know, organic, I think, and I've spoken to many farmers about this, it's not a perfect system. It's sort of like capitalism. It's not a perfect system by any means, but it's sort of like the best that humans have devised for the time being. Right. Right. Well said. So... There are ways of rinsing your produce where you can be even more sure that all of the residues or most of the residues have been removed. You can add some salt to your water and soak your produce for 20 minutes. You can add baking soda to your water. You can add vinegar to your water. All, any of those things can actually increase the amount of pesticides that come out in the water and thereby leaving you with cleaner, with cleaner produce. Gotcha. But a straight rinse is, is okay too. And okay. in terms of where the food comes from, it's tricky because certain, certain crops grown in California are going to be better than anywhere else. So for example, if you happen to like to consume rice, I never buy rice um, or eat it, but if you buy rice grown in California, it's going to have a lot less arsenic in it than rice grown in the south of the United States, for example. Interesting. So pick your evils. Your evils, pretty gotcha. much. Okay, good stuff. Yeah, you're up. I'm up. So the third, and I thi- just added a sixth, by the way. You added a sixth. Yeah. The third thing that I um, realized that is important. The the third thing that I learned over the past year is that I'm actually a big fan of collagen. Probably before this year began, I was not sold on the benefits of collagen protein, mm. but I have since, after numerous conversations with experts experimentation in my own life Mm -hmm. i think for an omnivore that eats primarily muscle meat which i do i think most people in the in the developed world when they are omnivores they tend to eat muscle
1: meat yeah and to be clear you're speaking of the ocean barnacle that's in a little black shell those no yeah that those muscles delicious those are delicious
0: no i mean ribs uh, steaks, chicken breasts, chicken thighs, things like that. The the meat that most of us tend to eat are actually the muscles of the animals. Okay. Got it. What about human meat? Human meat. I haven't dabbled in that, in that, in that, you know, culinary area and I don't plan to, but collagen I think is very important. It's not something that, that many of us consume it's found in collagenous tissues, connective tissue, ligaments, mm. skin. When I eat chicken now, I eat the skin. I always mm-hmm.
1: make sure that I'm eating the skin. Got it. So it's the good stuff that our ancestors used to eat that yes. now, because of the social weirdness, we probably toss out, along with organ meat, which is also amazing for you. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. But I think one of the
0: major reasons... So. Collagen, when you eat it, it gets broken down into its constituent amino acids. And collagen Mm -hmm. is basically, it's primarily three amino acids, glycine, proline, and hydroxyproline. It's got other amino acids in it, but for the most part, glycine, for example, it makes up one third of the collagen protein. The more muscle meat we consume, the more glycine we need, which is found Mm -hmm. primarily in collagen. And your average adult consumes about two grams of, of glycine every single day. And research calculations have posited that we need about 10 to 15 grams of glycine every day for good health, especially when you're on your standard American, um, McDonald's, Jack in a box, Taco Bell. Yeah. Or just a diet that incorporates predominantly muscle meat. Okay. And that's important for skin health, for better skin, mm-hmm. for better hair, for better nails, but also longevity, metabolism and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm a fan. Nice. How do you feel about muscle milk? The protein drink? Yes. Uh, not a, not a fan. Be, primarily because it's, I'm not sure where the protein comes from. I think it's a concentrate. I generally, if I do whey protein, I'm going to do whey protein isolate. Yes. And I know that they're all sweetened with uh, sucralose, which I'm not a ah, fan of. Okay. Yes. Okay. Which so is no
1: go on muscle milk. No go on muscle milk. Yes, go on collagen. Collagen. All right. I'm a fan awesome. of collagen. Was that your number three? That was my number three, yeah. Okay, great. So my next three which is my number three, four, and five are rapid fire. Okay. So I'm going to just spit them all out in sequence in story form for the folks at home. Okay, sounds good. Little side note, if you're going to present something to somebody, present it by telling a story. Hmm. It captures the attention. For example, with the voice note, I told the story of how I was doing the deal with Tony Robbins, way more captivating than if I was like, oh yeah, use voice notes and stuff. It's, it's just not exciting. The glyphosate, I told the story of the oat milk and the coffee. You remember that, don't you? Because of that story I told and the story with Dr. Gundry. Are you saying this because I, I did a poor job? I wasn't telling stories? No, I, no, I no, I'm I'm just, wasn't. I'm just passing I told a story on, for my first one. I'm just passing on a life lesson. Yeah. No, you do a great job. Obviously, people wouldn't be listening if they didn't love your delivery, however it has been. But Thanks, people family. hear best in stories. Thanks. So that's another takeaway. It's a bonus takeaway. Bonus takeaway. Yeah. So they're actually going to get 11 things today. Oh, 12, because I came up with a sixth. But that's only if you come up with another two. Right. I'm going to... Anyways, you think about that while I talk about these next three. Okay. All right. Now, if you're not confused by all that back and forth, (laughs) I'm impressed. Okay. So... Earlier this year, I was introduced to a book called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Have you read it? No. Amazing book about a guy named Jocko who was a commander in the Navy SEALs. And when he was commanding this task force in Afghanistan, Pakistan, one of those, they were going through the field trying to find these bad guys. And they found this fort where the bad guys were held up. And they surrounded the fort. And they started you know, pumping bullets into it. And then these other Navy guys were looking for this other Navy squad that was missing and they couldn't find them. And then after much radioing back and forth, they realized that Jocko's squad had surrounded a fort of the home team and was either firing or about to fire bullets into the fort where the home team was against their own guys, which I think is called like a, uh, I forget, like a code blue or it's the worst thing that can happen, friendly fire incidents in the military Hmm. for obvious reasons. And so this went down and Jocko was like, fuck, I'm not going to be able to lead these teams anymore. And they're all trying to figure out whose fault it was. And they were like, you know, the one guy didn't have the map correctly. And this guy didn't radio this person at the right time. And there's some communication lost in the back offices and who's at fault, who's to blame. And Jocko went back and he had to stand in front of the big dogs in the, in the Navy and explain what had happened. And most people in his position would have pointed out the radio this and the communication here and the map here and all that. Jocko gets up there and he goes, what happened is I screwed up. I wasn't on top of this radio person about the communication they should have been having. I wasn't on top of this map reader to find the most accurate map. I wasn't on top of my own team and properly researching what is going on in this situation. I am to blame here. I am the one that created this incident. Ownership. Extreme ownership, no matter what the cost. The big dogs in the Navy respected that he took responsibility for it, and they did not strip him of his command. They actually respected his honesty and his raw uh, openness to take responsibility for everything that happened on his watch. That is extreme ownership and it's such a great concept. And I've found it to be so critical in business, in relationships, in everything you do. So good example, we all who are in relationships get in a skirmish with our partner once in a while and it gets ugly and it's easy to blame them as to why it happened. But here's the thing, have you been in a relationship where you've had a lot of fights? Yes. And you try to tell your partner like what they keep doing to piss you off? Yeah. How often do they stop doing that? They don't. Never. Yeah. Right? So you're just going to keep having the same fight over and over unless you take ownership of the situation and you say, okay, yes, my partner does this. It makes me uncomfortable. It causes us to argue. But when you take ownership, you say, what can I do differently in these situations to fix it? Because it's really the only way it'll fix the situation. Mm-hmm. And now- that I've become aware of this concept, I've been watching for it in business, managing the teams of people, and I have found that this is one of the single most important qualities and ways to identify a high performer, and one of the most obvious red flags that's let you know you should let somebody go. If you have someone in a leadership position and something is not getting done, or there's a big mistake made, and they blame the people underneath them, that is the lack of ownership. That is pointing the fingers. It's even could be called victim mentality, Mm. and it's not someone you want leading your team. Mm. You want someone that takes responsibility for everything that happens on their watch. You want someone that takes that extreme ownership. So that's number three, extreme ownership. Read that book. It's fantastic. Use it in your life. Use it in your relationships. Use it in your business. Watch for it with people on your team. That brings me to the fourth thing I discovered this year. And that is that people unfortunately don't change. So I was just telling the story about in a relationship that I'm sure everyone can relate to, people don't stop pushing each other's buttons. The same things happen at work. You may have noticed if you have employees that there will be employees where you bring them into your office And you say, well, I'm going to give a real life example. Why am I giving a real life example? Because a real story is the best way to explain it. (laughs) So Sarah and I had someone on our team who every time something would happen, she would blame the people that were underneath her. Hmm. And... I sat her down one day and I told her about the concept of extreme ownership. I told her that everything that happens on her watch, we would like her to be responsible for. I told her, yes, this person might have done this wrong, but how could you have communicated better to them in advance? How could you have given them clearer directions? And she was very on board with it. For two weeks, she took responsibility for everything, and then it started going downhill again, and she started blaming in the future meetings. Mm. The same is true with people who are procrastinators. This was true with me back in my early working days. When I first started off writing, I had the, a copywriter at this company working for a guy named Evan Pagan. He called me out. He's like, Craig, you've been procrastinating. People are wondering where your work is coming. And I said, oh, Eben, I apologize. I'm going to get to work. And then for the next like, month or so, I was good. And then I started slipping again. The reason why is sad to say most people do not change. And this is a, 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 a something I wanted to share with the folks at home, mostly as uh, something to those who lead teams. If you're leading teams and you're having management meetings with people on your team and you're suggesting things that they should change, most of the time, sadly, they are not. So suggest it if it comes back even once like let's say someone's always late you tell them hey you cannot be coming in late every day it's affecting everyone else's morale here you know you you shouldn't be disrespecting everyone's time by coming in late to meetings everyone's sitting around waiting for you you need to be on time if they then come on time for two weeks which is usually what happens and then they fall off again they're never going to start coming on time right If they tell someone something once and they change, then they change. But most people will not change. It's rare where someone gets something once and they do change. Hmm. To finish the story with me on the procrastination, I didn't change until Eben actually bribed me with a large sum of money. He said, if you write 10 pages of writing every single day, I'll make sure you're making six figures a year. And I said, okay. And I sat down and and (laughs) wrote. So I don't know if that's a, a potential thing. That is, I think, what a lot of parents do with their kids. My parents did it to me. They're like, if you get straight Bs, they're like, you know, they'd given up on A's long ago. (laughs) If you get straight Bs, we'll buy you a car. We'll send you to college. We'll get you your own apartment. And I uh, still graduated with a 1.7 GPA. So that doesn't always work. Bribery doesn't always work. People do not change. That is my fifth thing I've learned. Now, the sixth thing I'm going to share is something that I am working with myself that is a lifelong journey. And I'd like to begin this with a quote. It's a quote from Carl Jung, the famous psychiatrist. And this is my favorite quote of the year. And that is, until you make the subconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. So what that means is, unless you figure out what's really driving you on the inside, unless you figure out like why you do all this Weird, unproductive shit like bad eating, like procrastinating, like starting fights with your partner, like being dramatic, like rebelling against certain things, it's gonna control your life and you won't even know it. So, a case in point is that procrastination with me, I've been doing some inner work lately. And I recently started on this thing called the Hoffman Process. I'm going to this retreat in a couple of weeks, but they gave homework. Hmm. And they said, pick one of your bad patterns, one of your negative patterns that you want to change. And we're going to talk about where that came from. And so I picked procrastination because I still procrastinate a lot. And they they walked me through this process, this worksheet. And it turns out that the reason I procrastinate is because when I was a kid, my mom would not show love unless I had achievement. Hmm. Like there wasn't, I love you's in our house. There wasn't hugs or kisses. It was, if I got the good grade, I was praised and I was the good kid. Hmm. No love was given just for me being me. And the good grade usually required homework. And so I'd get this homework and I would want to do good in school, but I was also rebelling against my mom by not doing the homework because I had angst around not getting this love just for me. I had angst about having to hit this reward to get the love. And as a result, I subconsciously started procrastinating and pushing off this hard work because I was like, I should not have to work to get love. So... Circling back, now that I know that, now that I know I have this subconscious thing that I do that makes me procrastinate, now that I know that it's rebelling against that childhood p- problem I was having of not getting love, I can start to work on it. And when I start procrastinating, I say, okay, what's going on here? And then I you know, think about it. And hopefully, it helps me actually do, I actually do make a change because most people don't, because I've recognized what's, I'm doing, what I'm doing subconsciously and I've made it conscious. So the last point is that people don't change. But this next point is that if you want to change, this is what you have to do. Because unfortunately, we're all probably more like the people who don't change than the people who do. If you want to change, you need to find out your subconscious drivers, bring them to the surface so you at least know why you're doing this robotic shit. hmm then you can work on it. I love that. And also to
0: look for the incentives in your life that might incentivize you to change because you have that financial incentive. Right. But some people might not be consciously aware of what their incentives are for change. So an incentive for, I think, many people that have constant you know, fights in their relationships the incentive would be to stay with the partner that you're with, that you love, Mm -hmm. that you assuming you want to be with Mm -hmm. and to be clear about that as an incentive. And then to use that, do you think that's like, do you think
1: that's strong enough? Well, I think we all crave things for reasons of childhood programming. Mm. So the incentives we want are based on that too. So another thing I have always found myself craving is recognition. Hmm. When I achieve something, I want it recognized. And so my business will do, you know, a good number in sales or whatever. And I'll see someone who has a smaller business getting written up in Forbes. And I'll be like, what the fuck? Like, why am I not in Forbes, you know? And it's just that like envy thing from me being a little kid where it was like, hey, mom, I did this. Aren't you going to recognize me? You know, because as a kid, that worked for me to get recognition. And when it doesn't, as an adult, it leaves me chasing. Mm. So, yeah, recognizing why you want these rewards also. It all goes back to childhood. We're all a mess. Check out the Hoffman process. (laughs) Find a psychiatrist. I mean, seriously, people are afraid of therapy and coaching. And I don't blame them. There is a stigma in our society around getting coaching and therapy but it's so important, man, because we are all messed up because as kids, we're so tender, you know, the, the brain and the psyche is so tender. We're the only mammal that doesn't like jump up out of the womb and know how to like hunt and survive. You know, Have you ever <laughs> see a baby deer jump out of the womb? It's <laughs> just like, boom, it just starts walking and stuff and kind of like graze, you yeah. know, like, uh, uh um, a, a like, Birds, like, you know, are are a little bit like humans, where they need to be fed a little bit and kind of learn to fly. But the rest of the animals are just like jumping out and like just kicking ass, you know, for the (laughs) most part. Humans, man, how old do you think you would have had to been as a kid to get dropped off in the woods and survive? Oh my God. I mean, I still- Like 40. (laughs) (laughs) I still- Right? Right? So we're programmed to need other people. Right. And because human beings need other people to survive, even in our adult age, in this day and age, you know, you- have this brain that wants to keep the people around and will do things to keep the people around and keep you socialized and keep you in the family and keep you feeling the love to a fault because the brain feels if that love ends, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. That's why we're all so fucking needy, man. Is because we we need to survive, (laughs) you know. That's that's the way we're designed. And you can imagine a human baby, you know, coming out of the womb, and you got to be nursed, and you know, you can't even walk and talk. You need to learn all that stuff, let alone how to survive on your own. So we're very bonded to our parents. We're very bonded to our siblings, and we're very bonded to a societal culture. We're very bonded to being a part of something. Like you don't really hear too many stories of a baby raised by wolves or raised by themselves, you know? no, It's all internalized in our DNA to be around other humans in order to survive. Hmm. And that's why our programming is so sensitive as a young age. And you got to figure out how you got programmed as a kid. So you know why you're doing all this fucked up shit when you're an adult. And we yeah. all do fucked up shit. And it doesn't matter how great your parents were and how meaning uh, how well-meaning they were. Because my parents were very well-meaning. We always have food on the table. We always had gifts under the Christmas tree. They showed us love in the ways that they knew, the ways their parents loved them. Uh, my dad was raised in a cult. He was raised Jehovah's Witness. He wasn't allowed to have friends who weren't a part of Jehovah's Witness. He broke that cycle. He would take us on trips. He would take us camping. He was a great dad. That said, there were some things that he did not willingly hmm. that just didn't end up giving us the the most optimal programming, the, the three of us brothers, that weren't bad. They were just things that he didn't know to do or not to do. And we're going to do those with our kids, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to keep going. But you have a responsibility, I think, if you're going to have kids, to try to break as many of those chains as possible, undo your programming, find out what makes you tick so you can be a better Human being, better father, mother, better partner in relationships, better friend, and just have a better life. Because who wants to be a fucking robot reacting to negative history that happened when you were six? Exactly. And those patterns are all in the subconscious, and you've got to work to bring them out into the conscious. So I'll drop the quote one last time. Until you make the subconscious conscious, it will direct your life, and you will call it fate. You will call the things that happen to you fate. You'll be like, Oh, I you know, I can never get in a relationship because, you know, women only uh uh like tall guys or something like that, you know, or uh, uh I can never keep a woman around because they just don't like understand my like all women are, are uh looking for only one thing or something like that, you know, when like in reality you might be addicted to whatever something that's driving all your relationships away yeah you know maybe you're addicted to fucking Fortnite or some shit and you just don't know because it's subconscious and maybe you take away Fortnite, and you're like oh i'm good i'm not addicted to Fortnite anymore but you're spending all your time like reading a book and not connecting with your partner or whatever it is you know so yeah i love that that's powerful yeah i'm probably not the best way to best person to tell you how to unwind that stuff but know that it's there don't fear the therapy don't fear the coaching go figure it out you'll be happier
0: well we'll do like a follow up. We'll find I don't know, we'll maybe it'll be a round table, you and then the author well no. Well yeah, Carl Young can't get him on the show. But nope. can't get <laughs> can't get Bob Hoffman either. He's passed on. But oh man.
1: Well we'll we'll find somebody. Because I think that's a really interesting... Yeah. You know who's dropping great bombs on this? Who? Is Neil Strauss on Instagram. Hmm. Is dropping really great bombs about this. Uh, follow Neil Strauss on Instagram. He's dropping amazing bombs on this topic about decoupling childhood wounds. His book, The Truth, talks a lot about that, actually. Neil's book, The Truth. Yeah, I recommend that. We saw
0: him at, at Belcampo the other day. That's right. He, uh, we have the same taste that's right. in, in high quality, well-pro- Amen. well-produced beef. So we're, we're out of time. I got a sixth thing.
1: You got a sixth thing. Let's hear it. Well, do you have any more? You were going to try to let come me look at my, Let me look at my list. We are out
0: of time though. Let me look at my list. We are out of
1: time. And then but have, this is a perfect ending one.
0: Well, okay. I have a, I have a fourth. So I, I've given you three already. And my fourth is as important as it is to take risks and to leave the security blanket or whatever you called it, you should also be consistent. So I've realized incredible uh, gains in terms of my health and in terms of my body composition in terms of pr- my professional life on social media, growing a following with a consistency in terms of whether it's what I'm eating or where I'm mm-hmm. going for that food or my workout program and not relying solely on motivation, but just getting up and trying to trying to embed these behaviors in my ritual because yeah. you do something a certain number of times, it becomes a habit um, for putting content out on social media, being diligent with my research and impeccable with my word. These are all things that I think are very valuable. And there's really not much more that I, have to, that I want to add to it. But
1: Well, you know, on that note, I mean, consistency takes advantage of the most powerful force in the world, which is compound interest. Hmm. And it, uh, another great book called Atomic Habits, he talks about how if you improve just 1% a day in something... By the end of the uh, one year, you're like thirty seven percent better or something like that. Wow, which is a lot. You know, that's just one percent, or maybe it's like the end of a month. Well, I don't know. One
0: percent is small, and a year goes by so
1: quickly. Yeah, so I need to I need to re look that up. <laughs> it's, so, but anyway, if you do something every day, you improve a shit ton. At uh, uh, at scale. Yeah. After a, a lot doing that a lot every single day, you might not notice it on the first day, but after the hundredth day of playing the piano or eating right, you have a massive improvement. And that is compound interest, as Warren Buffett calls the most powerful force in the world. I love it. So that actually leads me right into my last point that I think is a good one to close on. And this came to me from a book called Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. And he talks about how he had his 20-year journey with Nike. He tells the whole story. It's a great book, mm-hmm. and he doesn't pay himself that much. You know, he's just kind of scraping by. Some sometimes he's ha- almost barely making payroll, and you know, builds Nike up and has all its crazy ups and downs. Where they finally get a star athlete, and that athlete passes away tragically as Prefontaine in a, in a, a, a car crash, mm-hmm. I believe. And so Nike's just finally, you know, like make, getting mainstream coverage, and then something bad happens, and then. All of a sudden it gets to the point where he takes Nike public and he goes from barely scraping by for 20 years financially to being worth $180 million Jeez. personal income or I'm sorry, personal in the bank in like the eighties. Cool. So he's rich AF. Yeah. And he said at that point he had one wish and he had a feeling at this point because he knew his one wish could not be granted. And that wish was to go back 20 years in the past and do it all over again. Hmm. What he realized was that the journey is the prize. It's not the gold at the end of the rainbow. It's the journey that we're on. And I can testify to that also as I've had different places where I've found success, whether it's financially, whether it's building a social media following, whether it's gaining status in the marketing world as someone who used to be the kid in the back of the room taking notes to now I'm on the stage. Man, being the kid in the back of the room taking notes was a lot of fun. It made me like super hungry to figure out what I was going to do next. If I got the invite to that dinner with the big boys, it was so exciting. If I had a business that was just, you know, making a few bucks, like I remember my first online business the first month I made $360. I was like that's my car payment. <laughs> that was the most exciting thing ever. The journey man, the journey is where the fun comes. So appreciate every day of that journey, the ups and the downs because if you're listening to this podcast, you're learning some good shit. You're probably going to become very successful if you apply what Max teaches you in all of his work. And one day you will be at the top of the mountain. You will reach your financial goals, your health goals, your relationship goals, your family goals, your save the world goals, whatever they are. You're going to do that if you apply and you're consistent. But I tell you what, it's the journey that gets you there. The bumps and the bruises, the ups and downs, playing the game, that is the fucking prize, man. The prize is not at the end. The prize is along the way. I love that. Man, well, Craig, this was, uh, this, was, this was an awesome
0: episode. And of course, it was the special closing off of 2019. It was a, it's a New Year special. We're now heading into 2020 or 2020, however you want to say it. And I know I told you to prepare for this episode by coming up with the five or six things that you learned over the past year. But now I want to ask you, as our final question, what your intention is for the following year? What is it that you that you hope to achieve? Maybe it's personal, maybe it's professional, maybe it's creative. But yeah, what's your intention? For yeah. The, for the next for the next
1: three hundred and sixty five days. Yeah, I have zero. Zero. I have not set any goals for the next year. No goals. Zero. That's none. Interesting. I don't recommend that. Was that intentional? That's procrastination. That's procrastination. <laughs> yes, yes, that's procrastination at its finest. Sarah and I are going to go somewhere for New Year's, we don't know yet because we've been procrastinating, but I'm sure we'll sit down and <laughs> lay down some goals. I got nothing, man. You got nothing. Which is unlike me. I usually have some things I want to do. I mean, I've been talking about writing this book for 12 years. Yeah. I should probably fucking do that. Oh, I'm launching my podcast next year. The okay. greatest stories never told is yes. gonna come out around February. Love for y'all to give it a listen. That's on the docket. I got a haircut this year. Your haircut looks great. Thank you. It's like a n- a that, new style that's that's going to carry over into 2020. Love it. Yeah. Do you normally write out goals for yourself? You know, how about this? I'm gonna I'm gonna kick the caffeine too. Kick the caffeine. Yeah. Give it a shot. Good. I do write out goals in a pen in a journal, and it's been very helpful for me to write them out. I do that too every year. Yeah. And then here's something else I do: is I take my financial goal and I write a number, and I take a little post-it note. And I take just the square of it. So it's like, you know, two centimeters by two centimeters. And I attach it to the top of my laptop where it doesn't block the screen, but it's there. And then anytime I start dicking around on Facebook or Zillow or whatever, mm-hmm. I got the financial goal there and it's like, all right, get back to work. Wow. Love it. Cool. How can listeners find you on social media? At Craig. Just, just at Craig just at Craig, the first name. Man. On the Insta. Not on the TikTok yet, but uh, we're going to work on our dance moves tonight. Yes, we are.
0: Get on there. Cool, man. Well, thank you. Thank you to all you guys who've tuned in. I look forward to bringing the Genius Life to you in 2020. All the the episodes that I have in store, man, I'm so excited for you guys to listen to it. Thank you for listening with me and being a part of this community for the past year. I really appreciate it. And as always, I will catch you on the next episode. Peace.